Uh, Over the next few weeks, I want to spend some time just talking to you about what I believe God is calling us to as a church. More importantly, what I believe God is calling us to at Renfrew Baptist Church. You you see, we've always been a bit ahead of the curve here at, at Renfrew. You might even say that we have a history Uh, of doing things outside of the box. Take example, this building. We built it for what we expected God to do when we couldn't currently see it. How about the orchestra or choir that, that Bob showed us a few weeks ago? That was way ahead of its time back then. How about the belief that that we actually are called to serve our community like we do with the great candy giveaway? There's a whole bunch of churches that would rather hide tonight than to be in their community. Instead, we'll be outside being the hands and feet of Jesus. Has COVID slowed us down as a church? I don't think so. I think it has positioned us for some great ministry in the future. It's important for us as a church to figure out what our contribution is to God's kingdom. A church cannot be everything to everybody, but it can be something valuable to a group of people. One of the things that that I think we've learned together in this COVID season is the importance of our people. Our people might be friends or families, but what we've come to realize is we all need our people. And that's become incredibly important in COVID. We can actually be a part of different groups of people, but there are people and we need them. So with that understanding in mind, one of the beliefs that we have coming out of this pandemic is we will value here at Renfrew groups or communities of our people. We're going to use some words to describe our groups. I'm going to get Myron upstairs to throw this slide on the, the screen. This, this, This kind of describes our people. Let me walk you through it. Some of our people will be a part of a a learning community. The primary focus of a learning community will be the Bible. It usually will involve biblical curriculum. It'll involve prayer. And it'll involve a little bit of fellowship. An example of this is like our young adult Bible study or our women's Bible study or in the future running an alpha group. Uh, There's the support community, and and you see the support community. Uh, The support community, the the primary focus will be about care, spiritual care or physical care or emotional care. This will always involve a focused curriculum, Uh, a curriculum that walks us through something that's written by an expert in, in the area. Could be divorce care or grief share. It's going to involve the curriculum, it's going to involve prayer, and it's going to involve fellowship. An example of this that we might want to run for parents in this community is a group for parents who have children with special needs. 
We're also going to have relational communities. Our people are in relational communities. The primary focus will be about relationships. Now here's where us as good Baptists love this. When we hear this word, it's usually going to involve food. It's going to involve fellowship. It might involve a a biblical study and it'll always involve prayer. For you that have been in church for a while, uh, this would be like your small groups, except our small groups here at Renfrew are going to be pursuing relationships together. And then the final one, and you see that word, uh, mid-sized communities. The primary focus is going to be about larger group relationships. It, once again, as good Baptists, always involves food. It's going to fo- involve fellowship, and it will involve an activity. An example of these things would be like seniors' lunches or, or men's breakfasts. You see, on a Sunday, we'll always gather together as a whole community. But we'll grow together in smaller communities, and as we go out, we'll actually form more communities. What we're going to ask you to be a part of is two or three or four identifiable communities. And one of the ways that we will evaluate our effectiveness as a church is by the communities that we form. Think of it like this. We want people to view Sunday mornings as a place that we come together to accomplish something we couldn't by ourselves. We want people to to find relationships and meaning while being discipled or spiritually formed in communities that will help them mature in their faith. These communities have to reflect a desire to connect people relationally for people to grow in their relationship with God and get support as they navigate the brokenness in this world. Now, all of these are nice concepts. It's a nice diagram. But there's no way that this can be done by one individual or even a multiple staff at the church. We also don't believe that these groups will emerge from us sitting in a council meeting or even in a pastor's office. They will emerge from you. We believe that there'll be a template for many of these communities, but we want you to start to pray and work through what God might be calling you to do as a community leader functioning in the passion that you have. If you're at all interested in leading a community, we want to hear from you. And don't worry, we'll provide training opportunities in the next few months so that you will find success in what you believe God is calling you to do. I have to admit that I don't really like being up here all the time. It's not that I'm nervous or don't believe that I can do this. It's just that whenever I stand in front of groups of people, I don't want them to assume that I have it all figured out. So here's the deal. I'm in no way an expert in what I'm going to talk to you about today. I'm on a journey just like you when it comes to this topic. You see, this topic fits with what we are actually called to do tonight in our community. The the question that we need to start with is, do you have eyes of compassion? or eyes of comparison when it comes to looking at your world? 
Do you hurt for the world that you live in? Do you hurt for others or are you just concerned for yourself? Are you glad that you're not like that person over there? You see, I think too often in my own life, I'm so concerned with my needs, my wants, my rights, and what is happening to me personally that I lose sight of what God is actually doing doing around me and how God wants me to be a part of the work of his work here on earth. The choice will always be yours. Do I want to join him? I love how it describes the Lord's compassion in Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23. It says this, and it's a great, it's a great couple verses. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Because God loves us, we're not consumed. His compassions never do fail. Every morning they start new. Great is your faithfulness. You see, I I think we actually need to look at one of the great examples of a life that's marked by compassion, and that's actually found in Jesus. One summer... I spent a summer just studying all the different times that the word compassion was attached to Jesus. Here's some of those examples. Luke chapter, I mean, sorry, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Jesus sees the crowds and he has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. For some of us, when we see the crowd, we get overwhelmed. Matthew 14, verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Or how about this in Matthew 15, verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people because they've been with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on their way. If it said Matt called his followers to him and said this, Matt would have went, man, there's a lot of people. Where am I going to find food? Let's send them away to find food and then they can come back and then maybe I'll have compassion on them. How about this in Matthew 20, verse 34? Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. How about this in Mark? Mark chapter 1, verse 41. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, the man said. Jesus said, be clean. Or in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it says this, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. 
Mark chapter 8, we have that same story that we had in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 15. When Jesus landed, saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. I, oh, sorry, Mark chapter 8, verse 2. I have compassion for these people. They've been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. And then this famous illustration of, of compassion in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. So the father, uh, so he got up and went to his father But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. You see, as I look at Christ's life, I see that compassion always moved him to action. Jesus just didn't see the need. And then make up a wealth of excuses on how he couldn't meet that need. Jesus was actually moved to do something about it. Here's the tough question I needed to ask myself this week. All right, Matt, when was the last time that your heart was moved with compassion? See, I, I, I'm not sure that that's the problem. I think that Christians, Christ followers around North America, don't struggle with feeling compassion. I actually believe that the struggle is with us actually doing something into, in regards to the compassion that we feel. Maybe you've used these excuses like I've used. I, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. They don't really want me to help them. So let's just stop for a second. Let's back up and let's define what compassion is. Here's a dictionary definition of of compassion. Compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. Okay, that's good. Accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate, the su- to alleviate the suffering. The Greek word in Scripture that we actually translate as compassion literally means this, to have the depth of your insides uh, yearn with sympathy. Compassion always provides those who are in need with what they need. Do we understand that? You see, it doesn't seem to appear that we get to choose what we want to give them. Here, let me, Matt, provide something that I think you need, or let me tell you what I think you need. It appears that compassion provides for them what is their greatest need. So then we need to answer this simple question, how do I actually start to live a life that is marked by compassion? I think that when we look at Christ's life, we see a definite example of how to live a life that is marked by action. Christ taught there was an action that always involves our eyes. So then I needed to ask myself this question this week. Matt, what did you see with your eyes? Did you see people who are in, the need, who are in need of compassion? 
I, I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus didn't set up a come and see me kind of ministry. Maybe we're moving too fast. Or maybe we, this, maybe we just don't care. See, I, I know in my life, I need to slow down so that I can see the opportunities that God has put all around me and meet those needs. Here's a huge takeaway this morning. It appears that Jesus actually met a person's physical need before he ever met their spiritual need. Let, let, let me say that again. It appears that Jesus met a person's physical need before he ever met a person's spiritual need. Not only did he provide for them what they needed spiritually, he needed to take care of their lostness, but he met them where they were at physically. When was the last time that you and I tried to meet a person's physical need without putting a string attached to it? I, I believe that, that Jesus did so so that a person's greatest need would be eliminated so that the person would be able to hear the message of a loving Savior. All right, Matt, that's good and all, but what will it cost me if I actually decide to be a compassionate person? See, compassion always will cost us our time. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 10. You can go there in your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, verse 33. A Samaritan, as he traveled, verse 33, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him. Verse 35, the next day, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you may have had. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Think for a second what it cost this guy. Not only did it cost him his resources, but it cost him a lot of time. He had to stop he had to perform CPR on the individual. He then had to go out of his way. He then had to go back the next day to pay the innkeeper. I get it. Time is precious to us all. Maybe we actually need to start enjoying those disturbances, those frustrations, those slow people in the line at Safeway. Be careful. The second thing that compassion always costs us is our resources. Listen to a group of people who are like you and me. It's found in Mark chapter 6, verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him and said, this is a very remote place. It's already late. Verse 36, send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. 
But Jesus looked at them and said, you give them something to eat. Not only did that not stop the disciples, then they said back to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give them something to eat? Aren't we just like those disciples? So often in my mind, I run around just like they, them saying, this is impossible. It's too hard. But you and I have a relationship with God who can help us. A life of compassion costs us our resources. And I know personally, my resources are quite important to me. Compassion moves me to say, what is mine is actually yours. But here's the deal with compassion. It isn't a program at a church or a school. It isn't something that we just flip on or turn the switch on. It's a lifestyle. The question to end and the one that I'm asking myself this week is simply this, Matt, who have you given permission not to love? Let me ask you that again. Who in your world have you given yourself permission not to love? There's a list. Maybe as you and I actually walk out, here, out of here this morning, we need to learn to give compassion to all. Let's pray. God, thank you that you continue to call us into the deep. Lord, I ask for forgiveness for the many times in my life where I simply discard it saying, I'm not an empathetic person. Somebody else can deal with it. Lord, move me to have compassion. And tonight, God, you've given us a great opportunity to be compassionate people. Many of them who are just tired of COVID and tired of what this world is bringing to them. In our compassion, may we not grow weary. Thank you for the way that you've blessed our church with more than enough resources. Throughout our history, you've always been faithful. And we know that you'll continue to be faithful. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love you. We ask all of this in your most powerful name. Amen.